revival coming, okay? It's not nearly as weird or as spooky as it sounds, all right? So what we do is we take four Sundays before Christmas, and we begin to celebrate and to anticipate his coming. And so what happens with this is that Christmas becomes something that's all about other things, obviously. But the one thing that it is for us is it's a chance for us to fix our spiritual appetite, if you would, on what matters most. And so Advent is very much like Thanksgiving. It's preparing a spiritual meal and taking a month and staring at this amazing gift and allowing our appetite to get stirred. Allowing that, you know, slight drool to come down your mouth just a little bit. Because again... The problem is we have lives that are filled with getting us to look at and want other things. And so whenever we begin to talk about Jesus or the church or the scriptures, we come in on a Sunday and our entire lives we've been looking and thinking and just kind of mulling over other things. And so we, we kind of start to, we try to do this cold turkey. I don't mean to mix all the Thanksgiving metaphors, but you kind of get what I'm saying. And so, you know, all of a sudden Christmas pops up. Oh, yeah, it's a special day. There's presents in a tree, and that tree's not even about Jesus and all that kind of stuff, right? We're like, so what's the point? But what Advent does is it causes us in our lives that are go, go, go to begin to slow down. And it begins to get us, it forces us even, to begin to reorient our lives on what our lives should be about. And that's the Son of God. And so in Advent, we begin to celebrate his first coming, his first Advent, the first time that God invaded this broken world. And as we celebrate that invasion of darkness with light, we begin to prepare ourselves and stir a hunger for his second invasion, the final conquest of this broken world. And so we begin to celebrate the first coming, and it stirs the appetite for the second coming. Does that make sense to you guys at all? So what we have here is these candles that kind of symbolize our hope. I almost fell into the fire. That's a bad symbolism, okay? Bad symbolism. That's not the idea, okay? Okay, so first candle, okay, first Sunday. We talked about waiting, understanding that as Christians, one of the biggest themes in our lives should be waiting. If we're not waiting for something, there's something wrong, okay? If we're waiting for the wrong thing. And so what happens is when your life is built around waiting for that one thing, for Jesus, everything in your life begins to reorient to that one desire. And so this week, the second week of Advent, we're talking about something different. These analogies are not working right. Again, these are supposed to be physical symbols of things that you cannot see, right? This week, we're talking about mystery. Mystery. And you say, Devin, what is the point about mystery? Here's what it is. We learned last week that with waiting, what we are waiting for, what we really believe in the deepest part of our heart, in the deepest recesses of our mind, what we really believe is coming dictates the way we wait for it. If we believe there's something bad coming around the bend, if we do not want what is coming for us, then we will find distractions and fill our lives with you know, anything that will take our mind away from this fear that's driving us. And, and then we learned if we don't expect anything, if, we don't, if, we, if, if truly in our hearts, we might be physically sitting in this room, but in the deepest part of us, if we don't really believe this whole thing, if we don't really believe that there's a God who's coming to make all things right, if we don't really believe there's a life after this life, then we begin to live for other things. We call those idols. 
Most importantly, though, when we begin to believe there is something good, there's something better than this world coming, then everything about our lives begins to be fixed on that thing. But one of the biggest reasons that we stop waiting for God is because God begins to become ordinary to us. And so mystery, the reason that we're taking time this week to talk about the mystery of God it's because we need to be reminded sometimes that we don't have it all figured out. Did you hear that part? You don't know all of who God is. You don't even know a little bit about who God is. And that is the mystery of God. One of the biggest problems that we have right now in the form of Christianity that most of us have kind of grown up with is we've learned how to take God and just shrink and compress and to cut out the fat and to find a way to get, okay, what do I have to know about God? So I have to know that he died for me. I have to know that there's a way to get saved. And I have to know that I don't want to go to hell. And so we find a way to shrink God into this thing, this smaller and smaller and smaller. And then I can take God and I can just slip him into my life just, just so comfortably like that. And so I can take the creator of all things bring him into my life without any kind of disruption. Somehow I can have a Sunday morning where I encounter God and somehow I choose to start relationship, but the next week of my life looks the exact same as the previous. Because I found a way to get a handle on God. I found a way to, to get him just to fit just right. Because I don't have too much space in my life. I'm busy, you know. I've got family, I've got jobs, I've got dreams, I've got aspirations, I've got hobbies, I've got the Razorbacks. Amen. Or the Cowboys, bless your souls. If you guys are Razorback and Cowboy fans, yeah. there is mercy and grace, by the way. Okay. But we find a way to get God, what do I have to have? Because everything else, oh, yeah, it's great, but what do I really need? Okay. Good. Fits. And if it doesn't fit, well, we'll just keep on going as we did. And so, you know, we start talking about Advent. We talk about, you know, expecting the second coming. We talk about the kingdom of God, and these things are foreign to us. They bounce right off our minds because they're so different than this world. We talk about King Jesus, not he's Savior, but he's also Lord. He's King. He demands everything. But that doesn't fit into our lives very well. It's hard to take a king and to fit him into your pocket. It's hard to take a master and to make him your slave. <laughs> a genie in a bottle. If you're a 90s child, that's a whole different picture. <laughs> a genie in a bottle. If you, okay. Well, okay, we'll just move on from that. We won't even talk about that one. I always love that we have such a mixed crowd here at Grace, so the jokes and the analogies, you know, are always hitting somebody but missing others, right? Okay. And again, the younger crowd's laughing about that one. Okay, here we go. So what happens with God, again, is we have to relearn that we are this, and he is that. Amen? And again, the whole point of this, what's the point of this, Devin? It sounds great. The point of this is... That Jesus is Lord. He's everything. He's supposed to be in all, through all, the epitome of all. He's supposed to be everything for us. But the truth of the matter is he's little to us. 
What does your life really revolve around? What really matters most? When push comes to shove on a Sunday morning, what's going to win out? And the truth of the matter is that it might take different forms, but what's really going to win out is us over him every time. It could be fear, it could be work, it, it could be insecurity, it could be, you know, pride, it could be all sorts of different labels. At the end of the day, what comes down to, what dictates your relationship with Jesus is who is greater in your life, yourself, what you want, your control, or your Lord and Savior. And again, we don't do this because we're these terrible people. We do this because this is what we have grown up with. We have been taught we have learned this behavior of how to get God to fit into our lives. The idea of waiting is foreign to us because you have been taught, I have been taught, I have taught that in Christ, when you receive him that moment, you have everything you need right now in this life. Everything will be, will be you know, hunky-dory. The moment you receive Jesus in your life, in this moment, in this life, you get everything that you want just right. Your finances will be right. Your marriage will be right. Your kids will be fine. Everything in this life will be right. And the next life is hardly even talked about. Because we're not waiting for anything. Because we've been taught that we get everything now. And the truth is, in Jesus, we get everything but everything in the true value, the true gold that we get from him, the true inheritance from Jesus, isn't the inheritance that we want. And so we've found ways to trade it out. And Jesus says, if anyone would choose to have huge bank accounts and fancy cars and an easy life, follow me daily. Forsake himself. Pick up his cross. Denying himself daily. And follow me. But the promise is in that. In this momentary waiting. In that torturous day by day living. Knowing that what you have is this compared to what is coming. In that action of faith. We receive an inheritance that far surpasses anything of this world. But most of us never even start the journey. Because we've been told that the journey's already been finished. The moment that you start that relationship, it's all good. Just come to church, just tithe a little bit, which, by the way, you can tithe. I just want to tell you. You can do that. And you can come to church, too. That would be awesome. If we had everyone come to church on one Sunday who comes to this church, we wouldn't have enough chairs at all. This isn't because we're bad people. It's not because you are this huge failure. It's because somehow... The words of Jesus, the message from, of God to us in the scriptures somehow have just gotten lost. Somehow we've learned to have selective reading, selective hearing. We've learned to hear everything we want and cut out everything we don't. And in doing that, again, we have learned that we are this and God is this. And for most of us, when we step back and look at that, we say, how silly. If you guys have your Bibles, I want you guys to kind of get ready to go to Colossians, the 8th chapter. That cannot be right. Colossians 8, does that sound right to anybody else? I don't have my physical Bible up here. 
I don't have my physical Bible here. So <laughs> I need some help from some scholars here. Anyways, okay. Anyways, it's, it's, uh, the verses are 2 through 15, so I'm not even sure this is going to make sense to anybody else. I hope they found it back there in the booth <laughs> to help you guys out. Colossians 8 doesn't sound right, but anyways, we'll figure it out. Um, before I read the passage, I want to explain something to you guys. What really kind of started this for me, you know, just helping me understand it, my youngest son, uh, Liam, he's two years old. And this kid has, like, this hunger for life. Like, I envy my two-year-old, okay? Like, what was it yesterday? We were about to go in to eat some food. I said, do you want to go eat, you know, some fried chicken and mashed potatoes? Yes! I mean, I was like, yeah, me too. Let's go let's do this thing, you know? Whereas uh, my older son, Jude, is much more like me. So, you know, we're just very like this. And so I'm like, hey, Jude, you know, same question. Would you like to go in and eat fried chicken and mashed potatoes? Okay, <laughs> you know, but Liam, no, he's, he has this, you know, ferocious spirit. Because anything and everything is just either an extreme high or an extreme low with him. And that can be good and bad, okay, just, just picture. And so he has this fixation with the moon. I'm not kidding, a fixation with the moon. So uh, the other night, we're getting out of the car, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think it was the ones that way to get in here for, for pause service. And he's just, you know, you know, the whole family's kind of in a hurry, as we always are. And he, he catches a glimpse of this moon. I mean, you would have thought, I mean, this kid just starts go, losing his mind. I mean, he throws his toys, flings his arms, just screaming, moon, 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 moon. Daddy, moon. So I'm trying to drag him out of the car. So he's fighting me like, no but you don't see it. It's right there. I'm like, yes, son, that's the moon. We've talked about the moon. It's there. It's the moon. Great. Who cares, right? So I finally get him in the house. The next morning, we're, we are late for school. <laughs> okay. Anyways. And, you know, again, we're trying to get him in. And so we were cursed this morning to have the moon be visible during the day. You guys, okay. And so he sees it the moment he comes out the door. And so, again, we're trying to drag this kid to the car, trying to put him in the, in the car seat. And the whole 20-minute drive to school, moon, 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 daddy, mommy, look. And like, so his brother Jude's going, Liam, I know. It's the moon. That's <laughs> like, I've seen the moon, man. I know. It's right there, you know. And it, it just kind of struck me, you know. It's like, my goodness, when did the moon just become the moon to me? I mean, yeah, sure, I understand that, you know, we call it the moon, I understand what it is, I understand how it rotates, I understand its path, I understand some basics about the moon, but when did it become this ordinary thing to me? Oh yeah, there's this monster object that we get very close to every day and somehow it doesn't destroy us, so we don't destroy it, and it just stays there. Cool. Once NASA was able to land on the moon, it became ordinary to us. Once we're able to take a sample back, we're able to take some measurements, you know, we got moon figured out. So now NASA does not send, you know, its, its rockets anymore to the moon. And now we're moving on to the next thing, Mars, right? And so now it has to be private, private shuttles only to the moon. Darn. But I think it's a beautiful picture of how we are as humans, right? Something that is mystery, something that we don't, have a handle on yet. We are intrigued by it. We're drawn to it. We're fixated with it. 
And But the moment that we can get our hands out, the moment that we think we've got it figured out, we just, oh yeah, that's the moon. We want Mars. And once we get Mars, who knows what's next, right? But that's a beautiful picture of how we are as humans, though. The moment that we feel like we have our hands around it, it just becomes ordinary. Just something. And so... There's that moment for you as a Christian where in that moment, that day, whenever it was when you first decided to receive Christ, there was emotion, there was thoughts, there was questions, there was intrigue, there was, there was passion, there was something to it. It wasn't ordinary. But then a Sunday goes by, a few Sundays go to Sunday school, we get taught, you know, okay, here's everything about Jesus, here's everything about God, you're good. And we just, meh, what's next? In Colossians 3, is it 3? 2. Okay, it's in the Bible, I promise. And on top of that, we're going to use the Message Bible on top of that. Okay, and, you know, I normally don't do this. Um, the Message Bible, it is a paraphrase, but here's the point of it, okay? The Message Bible is not out to get you the literal word-by-word translation. It is out to get the meaning. Because sometimes with translations, we can lose the meaning that's, that's trying to be conveyed to us. And so I want to take a verse you've heard a hundred times and read it to you differently. To get you to understand, you might not fully understand. So you said two, right, Kristen? Thank you so much. It says eight here, and I was like, that's not right. Okay, Uh, Colossians 2, verse 2. Here's what it says. And so I want you woven into a tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ. God's great mystery. Stop right there. It doesn't matter what translation you use, the word mystery will show up in this in this uh, sentence here. The ultimate mystery of God is Christ. Um, there's a different passage in the scripture, I believe in Romans, where it calls Jesus is the ultimate mystery of God. He is the unsearchable riches of God. Unsearchable, unknowable, meaning there is no limit, there is no end of figuring him out. Think about that just for a second. The Jesus that you know, is he unsearchable? Is he unknowable? Meaning, can you not ever know everything about him? Is it so beyond you that you could be studying and learning and, and having conversation and you know, getting to know him for the rest of your time on the earth and never fully know everything about him? Is that the Jesus that you know? But here's the mystery of God. The mystery of God is not just that Jesus is that. It's that Jesus is that and invites us to know him. And if that just bounced off, you'll say it again. The mystery of God, the mystery of what God is doing in the universe is not just that his son is so amazing. It's that he and his son, that God himself is so amazing and that he would want something so unamazing to spend time with. That is the mystery of God. The Apostle Paul two or three times mentions that 
the powers of the world and even the angels themselves long to understand this. Why would God want you to know him? And more than that, why would he want to know you? Why would he want relationship with you? And the fact that I can say that this morning, in almost every one of us, it's hard to make that sound special. That's a problem. Did you get that with me? The fact that I can even tell you this morning, and I've been studying it, you know, a lot. The fact that I can take something I've been studying and praying over, and it's even hard for me to get excited about that. Oh yeah, God wants to have a relationship with me. Is that not the craziest, stupidest thing you've ever heard? Why in the world? If President Obama called you and said, hey man, so you want to hang out tomorrow? You'd be like, some of you guys would say no, okay. But, but beyond, what, you know, beyond what you would say, okay, there would still be a mystery about why, right? You would say, why do you want to hang out with me? You've got all these other things that should be of you know, importance to you. Why would you want to take time with me? And that would be more shocking to you, more surprising to you than this statement here in the scriptures that God would want to spend time with you. Guys, we have to let how the realness, the rawness of the good news of Jesus, we have to let it rock us a little bit. We have to let it remind us, whoa. If President Obama was coming to your house tomorrow, you would be freaked out. You'd be cleaning that thing all night long. getting some cheese and crackers, you know, some cheese whiz, right? The whole point is it would, it would reorient your day. Oh, my goodness. I'm calling in to work. I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to be embarrassed if I don't spend my entire day preparing. And yet, here we are supposed to be spending our entire lives preparing for our full sit-down, meet, fullness of relationship finally happening with God. We're supposed to be spending our entire lives waiting for it, preparing for it. Preparing our lives, getting the house in order, because guess what? The king is coming. The person who created everything that I've ever known, the one who gave me the ability to think and to feel, to exist, to breathe, that person is coming here. And I better get things ready. But we don't. It's the last thing in the week. It's hard enough just to drag ourselves out of bed on Sundays and sit through a service. Because this is not what our hearts are waiting for. It's not what we're hungry for. And this morning, I want to encourage you. A big reason this is not what you're hungry for is because, again, you've lost the mystery of it. You and I have somehow convinced ourselves that we've got it all already. There's a moment when you have guests coming over to your house where you've got everything clean, right? And, you know, and if you have kids, you have the kids locked away in the back room. Where everything is perfect for just a few seconds. You could sit down and be like, ah. But if that guest doesn't show up in five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, an hour, you let the kids back out. <laughs> you, you know, they can have a toy or two. You know, we can put the TV on, on the game. We can do whatever, right? If we... If we just get lulled enough, maybe it's not really happening. 
then things go right back the way they were. Did you see what I'm talking about this morning? That was a long bunny trail. All right. With the scriptures, we're <laughs> going back to Colossians. Um, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. Goodness gracious, I've got to stop. Did you read that? Did you, did you hear that? All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded. They're, inter, they're entwined. You cannot, they are inside of him. All of the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in what? The mystery. And nowhere else. And we've been shown the mystery. I'm telling you this because I, I do not want anyone leading you off on some wild goose chase after other so-called mysteries or the secret. He wrote this at a time when that book came out. You guys, I'm talking about the secret. Okay. <laughs> you guys are like, what's he talking about, the secret? Okay. Other so-called mysteries. <clears throat> I'm a long way off. True. And, and we never lay eyes on me. But believe me, I'm on your side right beside you. I'm delighted to hear of the careful and orderly ways you conduct your affairs and impressed with the solid substance of your faith in Christ. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You've received Christ Jesus, the Master. Now, live in Him. You're deeply rooted in Him. You're well-constructed upon Him. You know your way around the faith. Now, do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. The mystery of Christ, the mystery of what God is doing, is not just a matter of understanding who He is and what He's doing. The mystery of God is partaking in it. The mystery is that Jesus isn't just who He is, it's that again, He is who He is and He chooses to be with you because you are who you are. Did you get that? A little bit confusing, but I hope you got it. Does that make sense? The mystery is that he's God, he's everything, and you're not, and he still wants to come and have a relationship with you. The way for you to stay in the mystery, the, the way for you to continually understand that God is God and you are not is in deep, real relationship. Now, that's a little bit like this. Let's use a... Uh, Simple metaphor. How about marriage? Most marriages do not end in divorce because they hate each other, because of some deep wound. Here's what happens. Most marriages end in divorce because at some point or another, the, uh, the spouse becomes ordinary. Did you hear me? At some point, there's a place in, in the marriage where you feel comfortable. You know what? We're good. Two years, five years, ten years, it doesn't matter. There comes a point where you stop digging, you stop relating, you stop dating, you stop getting to know your spouse. There comes a point where your marriage and your spouse become ordinary. You become used to them. And when things become ordinary, what do we do? And so when our spouse becomes ordinary, when we think we've got them all figured out, when there's no more intrigue, there's no more romance, there's, no more, there's nothing special, 
there anymore. But then all of a sudden, when, when that person becomes ordinary, everything else and everyone else, okay, some marriage counseling, everyone else becomes intriguing. That woman who walks by and gives you a glance, hmm, that's interesting. And all of a sudden, the one person who used to be good enough, used to be everything, just becomes something. So what happens here for us is we, we get to a place with God where we stop pressing in. We, we, stop, we stop being intentional. You know, just like in your marriage, there comes a place where, you know, because you have kids or jobs or whatever, the dating stops, you know, having your alone time, stops, whatever it is, there comes a place where you stop being intentional about pursuing that spouse. And they become ordinary.